breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This on Blaze TV's podcast network. Another week has flown by. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time, I think you're in for a treat. I hope uh, you like to listen to uh, ideas, thoughts, concepts, details that you may not get elsewhere regarding radical Islam, regarding the lack of attention to the real crux of the problem when it comes to national security, foreign policy, and all the areas that uh, you might hear discussed about Muslims, Islam, radical Islam, terrorism, ISIS, and all the countries that you go to sleep at night worrying about, be it Syria, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Pakistan. We talk about things like immigration, refugees, and what do we do from here? And this week is no different. I want to spend a little time talking about the case that has been all over the news, and that is the case of Huda Muthana, 24-year-old lady who decided three years ago in 2015 to pick up her bags with two other Muslim women. She's from Alabama, goes to the airport, goes through Turkey to Syria, decides to join ISIS. Reports are based on her tweets, her social media accounts. She had some passports, not only from America, I think one of her friends from Australia and elsewhere. They burned them and said, good riddance and a bonfire. They will never want to go back. They are happy to leave this wrong behind them, and they are now joining the jihad. A bonfire soon, no need for these anymore, quote, unquote. Hudemuthana. Another case of Shamima Begun, a Bangladeshi daughter, grew up in the UK, born in the UK, daughter of a Bangladeshi immigrants, had dual citizenship even though she had never been to Bangladesh, also went to Syria to fight with the jihad, decided that ISIS had lost and now needed to come back to Britain. We'll talk about these two cases because the West is wringing its hands with what to do with them. On the one hand, you have President Trump, who told the EU this week, he said, uh, you all need to do the right thing and take these folks back. We're going to release them. And I guess they've been held in areas by American troops. And since we're pulling out, since the areas once held by ISIS are now free, well, uh, <laughs> strike that. They're not free. They're run by the Assad regime. Some of them are free if they're under Kurdish control, but bottom line is, is uh, ISIS is no longer there. The caliphate is now a point in history. But jihad is still growing more than it ever has. Jihadism, the war against those who do not believe in the Islamic State, those who do not want to live under Islamic Sharia supremacism, all those in the West, will continue. So President Trump told the West, told European countries, take these back because they have nowhere else to go. That is a real dilemma. What do we do with these? And yet, he's 
administration is being called to criticism because the case that seems to have become most popular of Huda Muthana, Secretary Pompeo sent out a letter directly from the... Imagine, thousands of immigrants, refugees, hundreds of thousands, want to come to America. And this ISIS genocidal piece of dirt has now, because of various issues, become important enough to have a letter from the Secretary of State. Well, that's fine. We're a country based on the rule of law, and the Secretary of State wanted to respond to what we're doing, and there has been some high-profile leadership from the President of the United States of America telling other countries that they must take their own. Well, we did not. Secretary Pompeo, I think, appropriately said, you know what? Well, she's the daughter of diplomats, so her citizenship just doesn't count. Yeah, we issued her passports, but those were probably done in error. She is not a citizen, Therefore, she has no right to come back. I want to talk to you about that. There's so much to this story that is at the core. That is at the core of what we're fighting in this war against radical Islam and political Islam, Islamism and its conveyor belt of radicalization. But first, let's talk about the American response. Listen, she has two pathways in which to return to the United States. One is... She hits the wall, bounces back, and goes wherever she wants. She has a small young daughter, a few years old, using it for empathy. She gave an ABC interview in which she told ABC, I'm ready to face the reality. I did wrong. I want to, to, to pay my debt to society. Oh, and how would you like to do that, Huda? Oh, I will do that through therapy, through rehabilitation. And then I will help teach about what radicalized me. Seriously? Seriously. Now, if you notice, her attorney is Hassan Shibli, a Syrian-American who has become notorious through his defense in 2006-2008 of Hamas, of Hezbollah, saying he himself would have wanted to go fight because of the valiant war that they're the jihad that they're fighting against Israel. Even when pressed repeatedly in media, he condemns terrorism, the tactic, but never condemns Hamas or Hezbollah by name. Well, let me footnote that. Come the Syrian revolution in which the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood, rose amongst the revolution over 2012-2013 as the Islamization of the revolution took hold because of Turkey and Saudi Arabia's radicalization of the Syrian revolution against the Assadist regime. The Hassan Shiblis of the world were unleashed as Sunni Islamists and then they became anti-Hezbollah. But he was pro-Hezbollah in 2006-2008 when it served his purpose and a common enemy between the Sunni Islamists and Shia Islamists against the Zionist state. Proving that he's an anti-Semite, proving that he's a radical. Fast forward, he had been up in New York and had some issues up there. You can do your own research on Mr. Shibley. He then goes down to CARE Florida, becomes their executive director, and now, oh, all of a sudden, becomes the pro bono attorney. Pro bono attorney for the family of Huda Muthana. And he's represented just as this regular sort of ACLU-type attorney. 
And then when you wonder why American Muslims are radicalized, when you wonder why they're radicalized, this is a perfect example. He's parading around. Let's talk about what she did. Parading around Huda Muthana, a lady who was married to two different ISIS warriors, had their baby, one of them, I don't know which one, married to a third one, saw beheadings, saw women being raped, used as sex slaves, saw other populations being massacred, likely participated in it, encouraged, and felt the jihadist thrill of jihadi kula. She was not only radicalized, but was radicalizing droves of others. And now we're supposed to believe that she's repentant? I'm sorry, that's not what the rule of law is about. The rule of law is not about simply repenting as her attorney has simply said that she will suffer before God. Her therapy will be suffering. What's the message, ladies and gentlemen? The message that they are exploiting. First of all, they're exploiting the American penchant for forgiveness. The Judeo-Christian foundations of America, which are based in forgiveness. And based in, oh, she was just a victim of the patriarchal society that she was surrounded by. She, and, and that's true for many, if not most women there, but this woman picked herself up from Alabama, left her family, who likely was involved in the initial stages of her radicalization, now claiming to be oh so innocent in her rehab. Lock, stock, and barrel believed in Sharia supremacism, lands in Syria and becomes for years two, three years embraced in radical Islam, embraced in the worst form of Salafi jihadism and Wahhabism in the teachings of Baghdadi and all of his fellow generals in the ISIS black flag army. No, I say, you know what? It's merciful for Secretary Pompeo to reject her admission. I don't understand why her parents wanted to come here. Why? Because her attorney, Council on American Islamic Relations Executive Director Hassan Shibli, seems to believe that she may get a little time, but will ultimately be able to get therapy and rehab and be fine. The reality is, this woman violated every element of her citizenship oath if she believes she is a citizen. If she believes she's a citizen, then she violated the oath to protect this country from enemies foreign and domestic. And she became, she embodied that enemy. She flew the flag, the black flag of ISIS, which embodies our enemy. Treason. She's a traitor. The passport itself that she carried mentions specifically that you will abandon, that you will, you will trample on this passport. I'm paraphrasing. If you join foreign militaries that are the enemies of the United States. And not only did she do that, she did it publicly and she embraced it. There's even question whether there's photos of her participating in war crimes. So just as every war criminal should be adjudicated, she should be. And, and I would not miss a wink of sleep at night if she received the death penalty for treason against the United States. 
and spare me the heartstrings about her son, her daughter, her kid, whatever it is. Bottom line is, is that many of the folks on death row in the United States who commit heinous acts have children. They cannot be used as shields, as Hamas and other radical Islamist groups do. They use their children as shields, not only as they radicalize them for the next generation, but they use them as shields to prevent themselves from coming to terms with the rule of law. So, if, if we, you know, if the State Department wants to find a technicality to prevent her from coming back, that's almost merciful. Because if she came back here, she should go right directly to Fort Leavenworth, get a trial. Not under an Obama administration, which releases the likes of the Bergdahls, the Bo Bergdahls of the world, who... Not necessarily, no, I don't know if we're sure he became a Muslim or not, but bottom line is, is he had sympathy, deserted his post, had sympathy with the Islamists, came back, should have served time, and they said basically his imprisonment was time, so he was released after he came back here. And by the way, we didn't get him back until we gave away five hardcore terrorists who are now back on the battlefield that they went to the Taliban through Qatar. No, that's not going to happen on the Trump administration. Had she come to the United States, this woman would have, I pray, served a ton of time. So I'm not sure I understand. I think there's a lot of tests here for the, for the American public and our American rule of law. The tests have to do, the tests have to do with are we at war with the ideology of jihadism and it's Sharia supremacism. If we are at war, especially with those who declare war on us, then they can be stripped of their citizenship. And by the way, I believe Awlaki, there should have been, remember Imam Awlaki, 2010? We killed him with a drone in Yemen. Oh, that Yemen came up again. We killed him with a drone, and so many civil libertarians said, how can the United States unilaterally kill a citizen? And on the one hand, I agree with that. That's a slippery slope we don't want to rush down, ever. Or else it'll be Orwellian, where the government can just strip citizenships and declare people dead. But this case could have been tried expeditiously, quickly. Videotape and others of known militants that have killed Americans, Nidal Hassan and others that committed operations of terror against our country and acts of war. Awlaki repeatedly declared war in the United States. May have been an American citizen, but he clearly rejected and trampled on that and was our enemy and should have been killed with that drone. But I will say there should have been a process to declare him an enemy of the state and strip him of his citizenship first. In his absence. And perhaps that's what Secretary Pompeo should have done with Huda Muthana, strip her citizenship in a legal proceeding while she is in a holding cell somewhere, or allow her in and then have her go through a trial for treason. Now, Muthana declared regret, declared remorse. The other sister, Shamima Begum, and by the way, there are hundreds of these. There's a hundred waiting to want to go back to France. The French are saying also they are going to put them right into prison and then try them. Shimim Begun, 
the daughter of Bangladeshi immigrants into the UK, uh, said she has no regrets. Her baby's two weeks old. She gave him the name of Jarrah. Jarrah. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Al-Jarrah was a radical who was named because he slaughtered like a surgeon. He slaughtered with a sword his enemies, the infidels. So she's coming back with no regrets with a baby that's two weeks old that she named after a militant jihadist and whining that the Home Secretary in Britain, who, by the way, is Muslim, happens to be Muslim, can revoke her citizenship and she becomes stateless. Now, she may end up having to go back to Britain because when her citizenship was revoked, they thought she could go to Bangladesh because she had dual citizenship. Bangladesh has rejected her. They then thought she could go to Holland. Holland has rejected her. So she should be adjudicated through Britain. She cannot be left stateless. There are many statutes and rules according to the UN and others' charters that people cannot be left stateless that are previous citizens, but they must be adjudicated. And I do think, uh, as as much as she may radicalize others, I, I think that it would be limited. And I do think it is most important here, and I think this is one of the points from reform. If you're going to support reformers, America's position of strength, can, I cannot underscore how important that is. America's position of strength, if we bow down in submission to the likes of Hassan Shibli, if we bow down and make it appear that we are weakly subservient and submissive to the victimization of these poor warriors that commit genocide because they just had nothing else to do. They were just brainwashed by an ideology that they just happened to trip over. They did not trip over ISIS's ideology. It was inculcated through an indoctrination in their childhood by their Alabama parents who emigrated from Yemen by the diplomats who were Islamists. They may not have been violent. They may not have thought she would go from Adderall and speed to cocaine and heroin, but she did. And the gateway drug was political Islam, anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, anti-Westernism, and a belief in Islamic supremacy. Do I know that for a fact for this particular girl? No. Other stories, if you look at the story about the uh, Alabama girl gone jihad that was in, I think, Vanity Fair a few years ago, you'll see a similar narrative about a girl that within a couple years met the, met the man that she loves. They got radicalized, tried to leave America, and were stopped at the airport by the FBI. And it talks about how her father thought, oh, I cannot believe she was radicalized. I tried to do everything possible to, to lock her in her room, to take away her cell phone, and to monitor every moment of her life. Well, yeah, that patriarchal suffocation is exactly what radicalized her. That, that disgust and blame of America is what radicalized her. So a lot of these stories are the same, ladies and gentlemen. When you're fighting, when you're, you're fighting for American values... A, we have to be strong and firm. If they see us as weak, where their attorneys, 
it's amazing. You know, this Hassan Shibli, uh, his, he's, his, actually his family's from a neighborhood near my family's neighborhood in Aleppo. So origins very similar and yet ideologies could not be further apart. This guy under the Obama administration took a Palestinian child, paraded him through the White House, and and claimed that Israeli officers had thrown stones on him. He was doing this in 2013 or 14, and he's a Syrian-American. Hundreds of thousands of Syrians had been dead and slaughtered. We were trying to get the Obama administration to do something about Syria before ISIS was even barely a speck in Syria. Remember, ISIS started to even form itself in 2013 as Assad allowed that to happen. We've talked about that history here. But no, the Hassan Shiblis of care were obsessed continually with the Palestinian issue. That's what they used their bandwidth at the White House to do, was to parade fake stories, exaggerated stories about Palestinian victims of the Israeli Defense Force instead of talking about victims of true tyranny, of Assad, of Khomeini, of Hezbollah, of ISIS. No, that's not what they focused on. Obama tripped and, and, and bumbled through a, a red line, which he, he ignored, allowed chemical weapons to be used over 40 times, claimed that chemical weapons have been removed from Syria, and that never happened. And the Hassan Shiblis of the world continued to be obsessed with their anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. And now, and now, Claiming that this is, oh, this is a slippery slope that they want to prevent. This is why he's defending Huda Muthana versus actually coming across as being a defender of ISIS. Like we have nothing better in our band with our limited resources than to spend resources in the Islamic community on defending war criminals, kids who decide to really become a, a, a blight on Western on all of society globally that somehow that's what we should be spending our resources rehabbing, and especially Muslim leaders in America on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, interview after interview he's doing, claiming that Secretary Pompeo, President Trump, are just anti-Muslim, when in fact there's nothing more pro-Muslim than calling for her execution after a trial in which she's proven to have committed treason against the United States and violated her citizenship oath. That would be what is pro-Muslim, pro-freedom, and anti-ISIS. Would would the Hassan Shiblis of the world say the same thing about a, a, a Hezbollah operative that uh, had decided, had left Detroit to go and fight with Hezbollah and try to kill our families in, in Aleppo? Would he call for their, for their compassion and allow them to come in and get rehab because they were brainwashed by the Shabiha army of, of Assad? I doubt it. These Islamists are hypocrites. To them, the only victims are their own Islamic supremacists. The other Islamic supremacists are their enemy. The West is their enemy. The Jews are their enemy. The Christians are their enemy. So, it's a clinic in their radicalization. It's a clinic. I mean, care could now be a joke. A simple joke. That, oh, are you, 
Oh, are you having remorse over serving in ISIS? Call CARE, the Council for American ISIS Rehabilitation. Yes, the Council for American ISIS Rehabilitation calls upon you to call them because they will help you get out of, no, not your DUI, your drunk while ISIS. Yes, you're drunk under ISIS intoxication. We will help you. I say that in jest, but there's some bitter, bitter reality there. When we wonder why now, 17 years, 18 years after 9-11, Muslims are getting more radicalized, a lot less radicalized. Americans are getting more divided away from Muslims in Islam because they don't see us repairing our own house. It's because the leadership is so entrenched in victimization, even the most evil in our communities are being perceived as victims. Enough. Enough of it. Who cares what happens to Huda? I don't. I got bigger fish to fry, more important things to do to help the next generation, the generation after that, to make sure they can live in a peaceful world in which a quarter of the world's population that's Muslim, a quarter, doesn't become all under the trance and intoxication of political Islam and Wahhabism. So, yeah, Britain's going to struggle with the same thing. France is going to struggle with the same thing. Do you have these folks come back that are enemy combatants and put them into prison camps as enemy combatants? Or do you put them through the rule of law, which is what a democracy would do? Yes, Gitmo exists for those who are stateless, who we had nowhere to send. But our citizens should come through the rule of law pretty quickly and expeditiously and be made examples of. For Huda, I think, I support Secretary Pompeo. She's the daughter of a diplomat. Oh, the care folks tried to say that, well, it was um, he had quit his job and then she was born a month later. Not a diplomat. What, what the heck was he doing still here? How many diplomats stick around in the country they're supposed to be doing diplomacy with? So something just is weird about that whole story. The Islamists are looking at how we react. If America is perceived as weak, we can't do so just to prove we're right by our most vicious, horrific enemies. That's weakness. We need to prove we're right by our own citizens. That, yes, we will respect our citizens, but we will also give them the full brunt of the law, especially if they reject their own citizenship and their own oath of loyalty. We will not allow the Hassan Shiblis of the world to use their jihadi lawfare jujitsu of our legal system to make themselves into the victim when, in fact, they are the aggressors. And if we don't want other aggressors, what's going to be the message to other Muslims that are on the edge of jihadi cool? What's the message? Well, if you do do that, it's okay. We'll, we'll take you back and, and put you through rehab, just like if you had a little too much alcohol or if you had a little few uh, drags of uh, cocaine. We'll put you through rehab for 30 days and then you might get a job back. No, there's nothing more important to the stability of America than the authenticity and the reality of the oath of our citizens because we will call, we will call on them to serve this country when we go to war.
We may have a draft. We, we have millions serving in our armed forces. I served 11 years. I know many Muslims that would give their lives for this country. And if you decide that you don't want to give your life for America, but you want to give your life for ISIS, then you will never set foot in this country as an American citizen again. If you do, you'll go directly to jail and be tried for treason. We should be trying more folks for treason. I think this is where we start to define who we are as Americans. I don't understand why it's not done so. Andy McCarthy wrote about it in National Review this week. Take a look at his column. Supports a lot of what I'm saying. We need to have a conversation about insurgent ideologies domestically and globalized. That war will not be won by revoking citizenship. I think this case is, is, is an aberration that they're able to revoke our citizenship. And again, I'll tell you, I think it's merciful. The reality is, is there are other 10s, 20s that are trying to come back. They should be tried as traitors. The 100 trying to get back to France, traitors. The 6 trying to get back to Belgium, traitors. Try them as traitors. And I, I, I know a lot of Muslim friends in the UK that are really upset about the unilateral, almost Orwellian removal of uh, Shamima Begun's citizenship, and I agree. Have her tried. She'll probably end up going back because she's stateless, and then have her tried as a traitor. That's where I'll understand which Muslims are on our side and which ones aren't. If you want her tried as simply a victim with just some community service, if you're not an Islamist, you might as well because you're apologizing for a lack of understanding. And if you're finding other reasons for her radicalization rather than the core reason, which is theology, which is political Islamic supremacism, then you're useless when it comes to reform. We cannot, we cannot deny the role of the ideologies that radicalize these folks. And if Muslims are going to extinguish it, we need to hold them to account and remove this bigotry of low expectations. That's got to stop. As we're talking about treason, there was another case that was all over the news, which was about Monica Witt. If you don't know who Monica Witt is, she's a former U.S. Air Force intelligence specialist that was accused of espionage for Iran. And now the story's beginning to unfold, and it was clear that she was radicalized over time while working for the United States and compromised the assets of the U.S., including many of her colleagues in the intelligence community, while she became enthralled and a, a loyalist with the Khomeinist radical Islamist terror regime of Iran. There's no doubt she caused significant damage to America. And if you look at what trained her, as Daily Caller points out this week, she came up through the George Washington University programs apt to defend the Brotherhood, apt to defend Islamists. In 2011, Nathan Brown, one of their professors who now directs the Middle East Studies program, testified before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence that the Brotherhood has no desire to push his agenda through forceful means. Brown went so far as to compare the Muslim Brotherhood with the Boy Scouts. He said they were just more ambitious. 
It may not never be clear, as the Daily Caller says, how much GW's programs contributed to Monica Witt's rabid anti-Americanism. But it cannot be denied that that institution shaped the way she thought. And now this asset for Iran, we can't get to her because she's in Iran. She was revealed to be a spy for them and went through some type of conversion process. When did she become a traitor? Douglas Wise, former deputy director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, ruled out a monetary motive. So it's not just like some of the old spies that just simply wanted millions. She wasn't in it for the money, he said. This wasn't a fee-for-task thing. At some point, she took an ideological left turn to become aligned with the Persians, the Iranians. The New York Times piece on wit attributes the shift in her time in the military. Oh, I'll leave it to the left to blame the military. According to the Times, wit served in Iraq and the other Middle East venues, was traumatized by drone strikes, extrajudicial killings, and atrocities against children. Yeah. But they do note that her radicalization was accelerated while she was in graduate school at George Washington University, where she gained a master's degree in the Middle East Studies program. It was a proving ground for aspiring diplomats and researchers near the State Department's headquarters. George Washington, by the way, hundreds of millions of dollars from countries like Qatar, which suffocates their ability to criticize those regimes and ends up making them, as per Nathan Lean, I'm sorry, Nathan Brown, and there's also Nathan Lean who's similarly repulsive, but Nathan Brown, agents of the ideology of Islamism, whether it be from Qatar or Turkey, who donates quite a bit. So, in each of these cases, you see treason. You see beyond sedition. You see Muslims or agents of Islamists that have become enemies of our state and need to be called out as such. And we need to create programs that highlight not only how to prevent this, but how to have more evangelical, not in religious way, but in the concepts of liberty and freedom that we promote those. Why aren't we converting our ideas for our agents to become spies against their regimes in Tehran for our benefit? Maybe we're doing that. But we should do it with the tune of a war of ideas. Not only Radio Free Europe, Radio Free Middle East, Radio Free Islam, but Twitter free, Google free, YouTube free Middle East, YouTube free Islam. That's what we need to fight them with. They're spending billions. Al Jazeera has videos out every day with millions of hits. We should do the same thing when it comes to pro-Americanism, anti-Qatar, anti-Islamist ideology. And then we'll begin to be, for every one Monica Witt that becomes a traitor, for every one Huda Muthana and Shamima Begun, we should have 10 Mustafa so-and-so, Abdullah so-and-so, who become agents of liberty and freedom and begin to advocate for those ideas on the ground, pro-American, anti-regime, to destabilize their ideas and begin to infiltrate them. No different than the Russians do to us. No different than the Islamists do to us. That red-green axis. But we need to be on the offense. 
enough with the defense. That's my piece, ladies and gentlemen, on our ISIS brides, war criminals. We didn't even talk about the silence from the two Muslim women congressmen about them. We didn't even talk about the media's subservience to this story and how little they're doing to talk about radicalization. So much more. But always leave you wanting for more. I will look forward to seeing you back next Saturday. Stay strong. Stay free. And stay critical and eyes wide open. This is Zudi Jaster on Reform This on Blaze TV's podcast network. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.